Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Hello, hello, my friend. How does your garden grow? I got to tell you, it is a weedy season in my garden, but we got out there last night and weeded the watermelon patch and uh, weeded again the tomato rose. We've um, we've just reached that point in the summer where, wow, there's there's more weeds than than sometimes there is like light for the plants we want to grow. So, um Maybe it's a weeding day in your own spiritual garden. How does your garden grow? Have you ever thought about your heart, your life as a garden or a field in which God is seeking to grow you up in righteousness? Paul makes reference to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, he talks there about, you know, it's not, it's not about Apollos. It's not about Paul. You know, what are Apollos or what are Paul? We're only servants. Um God has assigned to each of us a task. I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but God is the one who's making it grow. And he goes on then to say, um, you know, the one who plants or the one who waters, you know, each of us has a purpose and we're each going to be rewarded according to, you know, the labor that we're putting into God's garden. We're, we're all co-workers with God, but it's God who gives the growth. And then he says, you are God's field. You are God's garden. God's working it out in you. So I want to ask you today, my friend, how does your garden grow? How is your garden, your life, you as a field in which God has planted the seed of his word, watered by his spirit, um, tilled by, whoo, tilled by the spirit? Like, how does your garden grow? Each day, we turn to a growing your faith verse of the day. And so it occurs to me that every once in a while, we have to pause and we have to recognize that if every day the seed of God's word is being planted within us, um, if every day we are going to the love well and allowing God to water the garden of our heart, like, how are we growing? Are you tending your heart garden today? Are you reading the Word of God? Where in the Word are you today? Are you putting the Word into practice? I mean, when, you, when God tells you something, when God reveals something to you, are you turning immediately in obedience? Um, are you surrounding yourself with people of faith? Are you reading um, great books about the faith? Are you trusting God in the midst of the pain? Are you praying? Are you deliberately tilling the soil of the garden of your heart? Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. It's an encouraging word. If you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. It's a replenishment text. Um, what we give 
out of God's grace and mercy to others, God freely restores, replenishes the reserve. You're never depleted when you are giving generously out of the storehouse of the Lord. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. What would you take with you? What would you take with you? What are you uh, What are you planning on taking with you? Yeah, so that is not a question about, um, you know, like when you're dead and buried, you're taking what I like to call your dirt nap. Uh, that is not a question about like, you know, what are you going to have buried with you? Um, they are, they are continuing, archaeologists continue to um, uncover layer upon layer. They uncover, you know, graves of people from centuries ago. There's actually an ongoing conversation in China about whether or not to dig any deeper and uncover any further a particular entombed individual because of all of the things that supposedly he's buried with, including like enough um, uh, mercury, liquid mercury, that if you were to disturb his grave, like you'd be like covered in liquid mercury, some crazy thing like that. Okay, so what um, what would you take with you? This is a little bit uh, short of that question. So this is a question about running from the flames in Lahaina. What would you take with you? You'll hear stories of people who did grab a few things before they left their homes and ran for their lives. Um, but those things have also been incinerated. And so some of the things that we think would be the things that we would treasure and and want to take with us um, don't don't survive the flames either. Um, and so I turned to this this morning because Axios, which is a um, it's a news service, it's a news aggregator. They tend to just pretty much give the straight story. So I appreciate their approach to things as I'm. Um, taking in the news of the day, and and each evening they they send out uh, an aggregated list of news sources and commentary. And one of the things that they have been doing over the course of the summer is asking people to snap a picture and jot down a, a couple of lines of what you would take with you if the flames were bearing down upon you. Now, obviously, they started this process not in view of and long before the Lahaina fire. But they continue to post these very short vignettes with these pictures. And so um, what would you take with you? Now, assuming that there's not a child or a disabled adult or an elderly person who is going to require all of your energy and love and imagination in order to save them, what is the one thing, the literally the one thing, the one thing you would grab if your house was in flames. Axios asked that question earlier this summer in a reader survey, and they've been periodically posting a handful of responses. So here are a few. Sharon from Bloomfield, New Jersey, sent a picture of a ticket to a basketball game. I had the best time partying with alums at Villanova uh, And I saw live what is considered one of the best championship games of all time. And so this hangs in my office as a reminder to sprinkle impulse into my life. Sharon would grab a ball game ticket. Annie from Albany, Oregon, sent a picture of an ornate mantle clock. 
It was a wedding gift to her mother's parents in 1919. Um, It chimes on the hour and the half hour, and she says, it's a deep, melodious tone. When I was growing up and I heard it at night, that chime reassured me that I was safe. It still evokes that same feeling today. Lynn of Lafayette, Colorado, says that she would take a piece of original art, and it was sketched by a friend. It is a sketch of Tucker, uh, an Australian terrier rescue, who she describes as the most loving and loyal dog ever. And then there's Luann from Ohio. She says, I would grab the hunk of asphalt that sits on my desk. It's a reminder of where I came from. All the hard work it took to get where I am today. She put herself through college and law school and now serves as a judge. And she did all that, um, paying her bills by working for an asphalt company. These are memorials. They are prized possessions. They are the things that people prize above all others. As you watch the videos of people mostly in tank tops and shorts and flip-flops, standing in the ocean, covering their faces with whatever small scratch of fabric they thought to cling to. Their entire town and everything they own in flames behind them. The asphalt itself burning. The cries you hear. Knowing that they fled the flames past others who were too old or too feeble to make it to the ocean. Who are now being gruesomely counted among the dead. I have surveyed the scene. I see not one person clinging to a game ticket or a mantle clock or a framed piece of art. I see them clinging to life. If you've been through a fire or a mudslide or a tornado... If you have lost everything, then maybe you have counsel for the rest of us today. It's a worthy question to ask in the conversations we're going to have today. As we're surveying from afar the three and a half square miles of completely charred Lahaina. The loss of homes and businesses and historical markers is significant, but nothing compares to the loss of life. 1,300 people are still missing. The governor, who is also a physician, I have learned, forecast that the official death count, which now stands at 106, should be expected to rise day after day until crews complete their grim task, which he said might take another 10 days. Crowds had gathered and Jesus was teaching them and someone in the crowd said to him, this is Luke chapter 12, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, (laughs) I'm not the arbiter between you and your brother over the things of this earth. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of things. And then he told them a parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He had many things. He thought to himself, what should I do? I got no place to store all this. Well, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down the barns I've got and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. 
I'll say to myself, you got plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take it easy, man. Eat, drink, be merry. Move to the coast. God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life is going to be demanded from you. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves and is not rich toward God. That is Jesus. Where is your wealth stored up today? I'm going to encourage you to store up treasures in heaven. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. All right, uh, depending on where you get your news, the big news of the day um, is going to be different. And so I just think it's worthwhile to turn and ask each other every once in a while, hey, what's the big news where you are? What's the, what's the big news in your life? The big news for most people is really, really local, like kitchen table, uh, backseat of the car, uh, top of the desk, front of the mind. Um, so what's the big news where you are today? Is somebody getting married? Is somebody heading off to college? Um, did somebody fail a test at school or get a negative result from a test from the doctor? Okay, a negative result. When you get tested for something, you actually want a negative result. Like there wasn't something bad there. So I guess a positive result that was negative, you get my gist. Like, right, what's the big news where you are? You could share it with me. The text line is open, 877-933-2484. Thank you for those of you already engaging on the text line. Jan, I will certainly pass along the message that you sent to the powers that be. Um, thank you for those of you who are sharing with me uh, where in the word you are today. Um, and uh, yeah, those of you weeding your own uh, heart garden today. Yep. Appreciate all of that. You can text me during the show, 877-933-2484. Um, if you've just joined us, I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Mornings with Carmen. You're listening to the Faith Radio Network. So the big news of the day, um, again, depending on your perspective, depending on where you are, um, the big news of the day is different. So I totally get that. Um, the big news at my house, we're going to move one kid into college this weekend. Uh, Jim and I are going to take a, a vacation with my parents next week. Um, yeah, big news. 
big news all around, right? Matthew's got a job working at Publix, moving grocery carts and uh, and putting groceries into bags. So, yeah, that's, you know, the big news where I am is that I only have, you know, four hens laying eggs. I don't know what the other ones are doing. Like, you know, the big news is whatever the big news where, is where you are. And I get that. So love to hear your big news today. Uh, 877-933-2484 is the text line. Um, a couple of big news stories, again, for the people involved directly in these stories. So there are a number of pro-life doctors and doctors groups, including our friends at the Christian Medical and Dental Association, who have been engaged in a legal battle with the Food and Drug Administration. So um, the Food and Drug Administration uh, you know, they get to write the rules on what is allowed in relationship to particular drugs and how they are used and how they are distributed and by whom and for what purpose. And so since 2021, this really happened during during uh, and in response to COVID. So the Food and Drug Administration decided they would make a, abortion-inducing drugs available through the mail you wouldn't have to have a doctor's visit and you wouldn't have to take them in the presence of a doctor. Um, and you wouldn't have to report any negative things that happened if you took the drugs. So they changed all of these rules. Um, oh, and they extended um, the gestational age of the baby um, from seven to 10 weeks and, uh, and they re- they removed two of the three required office visits. Um, they said non-doctors could prescribe these drugs. Um, and, yeah, and then they said, and you can send them through the mail. <clears throat> so doctors and groups of doctors have been contesting that. And that ruling came down yesterday. So the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled yesterday that the Food and Drug Administration must restore critical safeguards for chemical abortion drugs um, and specifically disallow their shipment through the U.S. mail or by mail, which I think means any sort of shipping by mail, not just the U.S. Postal Service. So um, the court ruling prohibits abortion providers from sending chemical abortion drugs um, through the mail, um, and it... uh, it directs the FDA to um, reverse some things that it has decided about chemical abortion along the way. Particularly, this is a this is a conversation about a drug called mifepristone and how it is available, who it is used by, at what point of uh, gestation during pregnancy, how it's administered, and by whom. And so, th- this is a huge um, this is a huge ruling for those concerned about pro life. There's another court ruling related to um, pro-life individuals, and this one has to do with protests um, and religious liberty. And so another court ruling came down um, this week as well, and this was a ruling in relationship to the city of Washington, D.C., which disproportionately penalized pro-life advocates and showed leniency toward Black Lives Matter protesters for um, the same offense. So the offense is the defacement of uh, public property. So you can't deface public property. Like, it's illegal to do that. Now, here what we're talking about is riding with chalk on the road or riding with chalk on the sidewalk. 
or spray painting things on the road. And you have seen plenty of Black Lives Matter spray painted things on the middle of roads. You have. Uh, Those were not prosecuted. What was prosecuted or the people who were prosecuted were pro-life protesters who wrote with chalk on a public sidewalk. Um, And so that is what, you know, what I would just say, and this is the language that's used, selective enforcement. Is it illegal to deface public property? Yes, it is. Is spray painting defacement? Yes. Is writing with chalk defacement? I don't know. They say it is. Um, Those laws are not equally enforced in every moment toward every person. That is selective enforcement. And the court found that, yes, the um, law enforcement in the city of the District of Columbia had been selectively enforcing laws, um, privileging those with whom there uh, there were one kind of protest and um, and prosecuting others. And they would say that it was based on political viewpoint. And you can't do that. Um, Let me just remind you, there's lots of things that are illegal that are not enforced. It's illegal to jaywalk, to drive in the passing lane, to fail to come to a complete stop at every stop sign. Connecting to a Wi-Fi network without reading the terms of service is actually illegal. It's a violation of federal copyright laws to download any type of protected work, including movies, songs, books, sermons, without attribution. In lots of states, it's illegal to host um, or participate in a private uh, game of poker. That's right. If you, inv- if you put money, literal money on the table, even pennies, it's illegal. How about driving one mile over the speed limit? It's technically illegal. It's not enforced. So, so the speed limit is, act, act, mm-hmm, is actually one of those things that's selectively enforced the most. How about seatbelt laws? Selectively enforced. Hands-free laws, selectively enforced. Underage drinking, public intoxication, using a false ID, smoking pot, failing to update your driver's license when you move to a new place. In the District of Columbia, you have five days, five days to inform the city of a change of address or you are in violation of the law. Now, that is obviously selectively enforced. Here's one. Sharing medication. If you've ever been in possession of or used Prescription drugs that were actually prescribed to anyone other than you, you've committed a federal crime. That is selectively enforced. How about jaywalking? Selectively enforced. You get it. You get my point, right? God does not selectively enforce his laws. He is a perfect judge. Every sin is equally sin. God is not selective in the application of the law, nor in the application of its penalty. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. James 2.10 says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails one at one point, you're guilty of all of it. None of us is without sin. There's blood on all our hands. Here's the good news of the gospel. We stand equally condemned at the foot of the cross and equally forgiven in Christ. Even as the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life. Friend, you stand guilty. So do I. The law is not um, upon us as a burden because we're liberated from it in Jesus, but it is a guide and a guardrail, and we keep it because it glorifies God. We don't keep the law out of fear. We keep the law out of gratitude. Let's take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado. 
All right, we have been working our way with Jeff Christofferson through um, the list of the temptations that we face in the Western church. The book is Once You See. You guys all know this if you've been listening uh, any time at all. This is my favorite novel of the year. Um, And so I encourage you to consider it. Once You See, Seven Temptations of the Western Church, a novel. Jeff Christofferson is the author um, again, um, as we work our way through these temptations, we um, we arrive today um, at the one that Jeff says, well, this is going to be exciting um, because we arrive today at partisanism. And as soon as I say partisanism, you are thinking politics and you're right. And you're thinking patriotism and you're right. And you're thinking political perspective and you're right. So. Um, How is partisanism a temptation of the church? And what happens to us as the body of Christ on mission with and for Christ when we give in in any way to this particular temptation? Jeff Christofferson joins us next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Jeff Christofferson is back. Um, We have been talking with Jeff over a series of conversations about Once You See. It is uh, a novelized conversation about the seven temptations of the Western Church. It is a great read. It is a great story. And it is great content. Um, Jeff, welcome back. Great to be back with you, Carmen. Thanks so much. Well, we arrived today at uh, temptation number six. And, you know, if if the ones weren't zesty up until now, um, it... (laughs) Today's is uh, is certainly uh, certainly a zesty topic, partisanism. Um, it's not wrong to um, to love our country, but to worship it is a problem, and um, and it's certainly a problem for for the church. Hmm. Yeah, it is. I mean, we often say we love God and country, and um, but I I think that translates very often. We love our country and we like God, and. Um, and when that that becomes the case, our country, our our patriotism becomes uh, idolatry, and um, and it becomes the highest perspective. I mean, national patriotism, political perspectives—they're normal, they're right, they're they're what we need for our democracies to run. But as a follower of Christ, that can never be my highest allegiance, and um, and so the kingdom of God has to be first and any temporal nation including our own countries any nationality any ethnicity any political political ideology has to bow its knees to Jesus Christ as lord and um and so we just have to as followers of Christ lower all secondary allegiances so that our earthly perspectives might not become a stumbling block to the mis- the message that cre- Christ has called us to, right? And um, and Jesus told us a little bit about what happens when we <laughs> become stumbling blocks, when our words become stumbling blocks. We and we are who are supposed to know become stumbling blocks to those uh, who have not heard the good news. Uh, it'd be better for us to have a millstone cast around our neck and, and us cast in the sea than be one of those people. And yet. I wonder, Carmen, <laughs> when the gospel that um, we have sounds like bad news to the poor, to the oppressed, 
to the brokenhearted, to the imprisoned. And it only sounds like good news to the self-righteous and the privileged and the middle class. I wonder if it's still the gospel of Jesus Christ that we're uh, that we're hanging on to. So there's a, a conversation, Jeff, that is running um, in in tandem with this one, and it is the conversation about the 40 million adults who have left the church mm. um, in the last 25 years. And many of those people still consider themselves, continue to consider themselves Christian. Um, they do they do have community with one another, um, but mostly uh, online. And um, they do consider themselves Christian in ways that they don't think other Christians are Christian. Um, mm. And much of it is um, much of it is around political ideology. And um, so I'm going to I'm going to read a paragraph um, okay. out of uh, The Great Dechurching, which is a book that is coming out um, any day now by Jim Davis and Michael Graham. And it's it's this research into the 40 million people who have left the church um, in the United States of America in the last 25 years. And so going to church used to confer positive social capital, especially in the southern and midwestern portions of the United States. But increasingly, what is imputing positive social capital is actually just mirroring political, civil, religion in your own immediate physical context and the makeup of your digital community. And that knife cuts both ways politically. If you're in a blue city-state or digital ecosystem, then you need to say certain things and do certain things to maintain thick social ties. In our current situation, that might look like expressing sentiments about um, sentiments about politics, policy, gender, sexuality, or race. Um, and uh, it's an it's an increasingly polarized um, reality. So this this polarization is attached that the political polarization in the country and all of its attachments is feeding this partisanism that is then infecting the church. And the spirit of the world is very much in the church when it comes to this conversation. And people bow up. I'm telling you, I probably will not get in anything that I talk about this week. I probably will not get more negative feedback than I will get from talking about this. And it will be from people on the politically partisan right and the politically partisan mm-hmm. left who think that the only way to be a Christian is to be with them politically. But really, the only way to be a Christian is to be with Jesus, like just be with Jesus. And, you know, on some things in our country, Jesus would come down red and in some cases he would come down blue. But it's it doesn't work out that way in people's minds. Yeah, I mean, in America, you're used to a two party system and uh, and and depending on where <laughs> where you land on that, you know, you think one is good and the other is evil. And um, the reality is, if you look above that, it is a two-party system. It is the kingdom of God and it is the dominion of darkness. And our, the two political parties do not line up in, in those two realities. The, the kingdom of God is what things look like when Jesus gets his way. The dominion of darkness is what, looks like, what things look like when anything else is put in that place. And, um, and so we have this, this problem when, I mean, you ask this question, what happens 
to the mission field when when partisan evangelicals collectively turn our missionary platforms into ideological troll farms in many ways what happens when the mission field um what happened when our highest calling is to leverage this what you described this profound cultural angst into a um political platform i mean what happens to the mission field when when those we we disagree with become not targets of our love but enemies to be vanquished and and instead of neighbors that were to love what happens to the mission field when this aberrant version of jesus which is formed in our own image and we weaponize it online as this wrecking ball um what happens is what you just described a a um a good news that has nothing to do with the gospel and um and and uh, a great de-churching of america and um and so we'll I, we'll as long as this is our pattern carmen i'm convinced that that religiously unaffiliated will continue to climb at unprecedented rates and this great evangelical prize political influence <laughs> that we want will continue to to erode and and this weapon of cultural engagement like what we've been involved in will just like jesus taught us it'll be turned and used against us in full measure jesus said if you live by the sword how are you going to die you're going to die by the sword and as long as politics becomes our our identity that that's how we're going down and um and so the church of jesus christ i think this temptation of caesar that we're talking about is going to become and is becoming our great undoing um identity is an important word belonging is an important word purpose is an important word maybe we would substitute mission there as the important word um, these are the things that we long for and we need and we know it. I mean, like, right, we we absolutely must have a sense of who we are and whose we are and what in the world we're in the mm. world um, to be and do. Um, and then that belonging part, I think, for most people is the sticking point. They have not experienced genuine, heartfelt family of God, community, mm. um the the blood bond of being a Christian in Christ and therefore with Christ's people as a body, like interdependent, totally connected. Mm -hmm. um, yep. They haven't experienced that. And that is actually the the vision in the book that is like uh, uh, catches in your throat and and makes you like long in your bones when when you read if you're listening right now and you haven't read it um that was my experience in reading once you see um when i read this novel my physical experience was i want to experience church like that i i want this is what i want i don't know how to make it happen i don't know if it's possible to invite the body of believers of which I am currently a part to move in this direction. Um, I don't know if it if it requires this vision being caught by uh, some group of people that then I become quote unquote church with. Um, but I got to tell you, you will feel it. It will catch in your throat. You will your heart will pound. 
you will shed tears of desire. Um, you will agonize that that the body that that our experience of the church is what it is and has been what it has been, and it's so far. It's so far from the belonging, believing mm. community that Jesus Christ died to raise. So we're going to talk more about it. We are talking with Jeff Christofferson. He's the author of Once You See, Seven Temptations of the Western Church. It is a novel, and we're talking today about temptation number six, which is partisanism. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. So in, uh, in a story that unfolds across, uh, across the world and then in the hearts and lives of men and women um, who are disconnected and then ultimately connected to one another because they're connected to Christ, uh, Jeff Christofferson writes a beautiful story. It's called Once You See. It is a novel, but in the novel, he is addressing seven temptations of the Western church. And we have talked through them, um, the temptations and their kingdom correctives. We've talked about philosophicalism. Um, You know, it's one thing to say we're a Bible-believing people. It's another thing to actually respond in obedience when God says something in his word, um, when God convicts you of something by his spirit, and you don't do it, then you're in in disobedience. And it doesn't matter that you're a quote-unquote Bible-believing person if you're not a a Bible-doing person, um, then you're really not an active, activated Christian. Um, how about professionalism? You know, we got a gifted pastoral team as if we could pay people to do what each and all of us has been uh, called, gifted, and commissioned to do, presentationalism. We got great, inspiring worship. Our preaching is really strong. Hmm. Well, the kingdom corrective here to presentationalism is that we actually become and function as the body of Christ in community with one another. It's not about having a well-tuned Sunday service. And, and none of us is saying that, you know, our service ought not to be excellent. Our worship services ought to be excellent. They should, absolutely. Um, but that is actually not what the church in Acts, if you read it, looked like, felt like, uh, walked like, worked like, lived like. And so what does it mean and look like to not only be a functioning body of Christ, but for each and every one of us to be functional uh, members of it, fully activated, doing our part. Um, how about passivism? We sit, we sit back, and we say, you know, as we as we snark and snarf at people who don't quote unquote come to church. It's available. The doors are open. Everyone is welcome. I mean, you know, they would know us by our love if they'd come and be like us and be with us. Now, does that sound like an, a, a, a gospel that is going? go, therefore, into all the world? Is, does that sound like a gospel that's making disciples in a way that's winsome? Does that sound like uh, a, a community of believers that is so um, concerned with the concerns of others 
that we can't help ourselves but get out there into the mix of it. It's not about everyone being welcome where we are. It's about us going and actually being the church in the world, incarnating the gospel. How about pragmatism? Um, what are you counting? Are you counting, uh, you know, noses and toes? And are you counting tithes and offerings? Or are you counting um, genuine conversion baptisms, believer baptisms? Are you counting kingdom um, change? Are you, are you counting growth and discipleship? Like, what are you counting and how are you counting it? And then we arrive today at temptation number six, and that is partisanism. It's maybe the most obvious um, of the things that not only tempts the Western church, but has um, made her putrid. She, she stinks to the world, not because she's the aroma of Christ, but because she has um, become divided in spirit and divided in heart. The spirit of the world has come into the church through the temptation of partisanism. And we're addressing that today um, with our friend Jeff Christofferson. Jeff, what's the kingdom corrective to partisanism in the church? The kingdom corrective to partisanism in the church is total allegiance and loyalty to King Jesus. Um, it, it can, our, our highest and best, the most patriotic gift that any Christ follower could give his or her nation is, is to emulate its master, emulate the, the ethical and cultural ramifications of, of that kind of life is, has a transformational effect. And the things that we're trying to accomplish, um, through our memes and our, and our, sermons oftentimes it, it, it will happen as an inside job but the metaphor that of this culture counterculture um thing that christ has asked us to do is yeast it is um it is it, it, it's a it's an invisible power that comes when we um show undivided allegiance i just was thinking this morning is coming on the the what what is what is our average if you said what's the most important value we have in our in our country most christ followers would say freedom um was it daniel webster said give me liberty or give me death um liberty uh <laughs> And then death, um, physical, temporal freedom, and then death is a life eternal sentence in hell. And um, and when we have when we when we see around the world, when we see the, the the fertile soil that the Bible was sort of brought into, and we have, and around the world and everywhere that that the the gospel is actually exploding, both past and present, has been in oppressive regimes regimes. And uh, and so our highest culture, our highest um, identity is not to preserve our freedom. Our highest identity is to be a bondservant to Jesus Christ. And um, and whatever that means to us, uh, it will be like yeast and it will actually have that preserving nature. And so we choose what is the two party thing? Is it is it it's not. Democrats and Republicans, it's darkness or light, and um, and they don't line up perfectly together. No, there's a, no, certainly not. That that isn't a wonderful way of saying it. Um, that's a really good question that you ask, and a really good um, maybe th- point to leave us with today in terms of the way we're thinking about these things and how we're living it out. Like, what is my, what do I value most? 
And Americans answer that question um, in terms of what do they personally value most? The answer is freedom. But what do they value most in terms of what they, quote unquote, have? The answer is family. And if I am more concerned about my freedom and my my family than I am concerned about um, being a bond servant to Christ and my family of faith, like the relationships that I have because of who I am in Christ, I'm going to spend eternity with my brothers and sisters in Christ. That may or may not include the people to whom I am genetically related. Mm-hmm. And so um, our values are upside down and we don't have kingdom values. And I think that's what you're helping us to see. The temptations of the world have, um, have, gotten, have laid hold of us in deep and dramatic ways as individual Christians and as the body of Christ in the world today. So thank you for the way that you have allowed God to use um, your sort of holy imagination to bring this, um, this story forward. One of the things um, Jeff, that uh, I love about Once You See is the heart for for my global brothers and sisters mm-hmm. um, that I think we, we tend to talk of uh, or speak of as the persecuted church, but that's not a fair way of dissecting um, the body, uh, universal and global. Um, and so I'm praying that they persevere today. And one of the questions I'm asking myself is, am I as concerned or more concerned for the Christians in Pakistan whose churches have been burned to the ground um, in the last couple of days, as I am about pagans in my own country whose town has been burned to the ground. Mm. Like, I, it is a question we have to ask, and, um, and it, it is, it's a strange answer when the answer is Jesus and his kingdom. It's just a strange yeah. answer in the world today. So yeah. thank you, my brother. Thank, thank you, you. It's wonderful to be yeah. with you, Carmen. Likewise. That's Jeff Christofferson. You can find him at the Canada National Baptist Convention. He is a part of Church Planting Canada. Um, You can also find him. um, He's a missiologist at the Church Multiplication Institute. He's the author of um, Once You See, which is my favorite novel of the year. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, let's take a deep breath. Let's, um, Let's inhale a little grace. And let's uh, let's exhale, yeah, you know, like whatever negative carbon dioxide is building up in our bodies and in our spirits. What do you need to um, what do you need to inhale in terms of God's grace today? It's all sufficient. It's always available. It's clean. It's good. It's healthy. Take a deep breath. Um, I had an annual physical yesterday. One of the things that they test is like your oxygen saturation rate. Like you know, right? Mine's a hundred, which is awesome. Um, what would your saturation rate be if we could test like the grace in your system this morning? Are you inhaling grace? Are you taking deep breaths of God today? Draw him in. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Let him fill your lungs and your life today. We got another hour together next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.